Well, the reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 6 and beginning at verse 12. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whose name, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. This is the word of our Lord. For us in the beginning or 20% through the first cent- uh, 21st century, it's really difficult to imagine the impact that Jesus had upon the people around him. We kind of look back and we look through the sort of filters of our own lenses and to some extent as a church, not St Paul's but generally, we've kind of somehow domesticated who Jesus is. But he made a huge impact on people. For a couple of, well, a couple of days, for example, let's look at what Jesus was doing a couple of days before he preached this sermon, before he called these 12 men to be his apostles. Jesus was in a synagogue, and I'll just quickly read what went on. One Sabbath, Jesus, sorry, I won't start there. 
On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. That's an interesting little example of the impact that Jesus had. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law went to the Sabbath, uh, sorry, went to the synagogue that Sabbath to try and catch Jesus out. They saw this man who had some sort of deformity and they knew that he might heal them. And if he did, he was going to break their law that you weren't allowed to heal people on the Sabbath. You could save a life, but you couldn't just bring a healing of that sort of magnitude. And when Jesus healed them, they just totally ignored the miraculous healing. It just became evidence that Jesus was not living out their little rigid laws. They were totally blinkered and they didn't see the radical Jesus that was stood before them. They just saw somebody that was doing something different and breaking their law. And they needed to sort him out in some way. And you see, this is what was happening with Jesus. Everywhere he went, something new, something exciting and outside the box was happening. Certainly something was going on that was outside the limits of those men's religion. And the more popular Jesus became, the more their opposition against him rose as well. And we come to this point in time when Jesus decided that it was time to form a new community around himself. And so he called together this group of 12 men who would be able to carry on his ministry, his work, his mission, after he was gone. And so we're told that Jesus spent a night praying and then after that he called his disciples to him and then he picked 12 of them to be apostles. And then Jesus focused on training those 12 men by example, showing them what to do, telling them about what had happened and why it had happened 
teaching them about God, teaching them about the kingdom, giving them chances to carry out missions. Do you remember when he sent them out in two by two? So that they could carry on and build up the church when he was gone. And it's no accident that Jesus chose 12. Because in those 12, it reflected Israel's structure of 12 tribes. So in a sense, the 12 apostles that Jesus selected were a natural extension of God's promises to Israel. But what was happening with Jesus is those promises that the 12 tribes of Israel had been given were now being fulfilled. They were reaching their fulfilment. So in a very real sense, Jesus brought something new. He brought into being a new structure that still had points with the old, but wasn't limited by the old. It was something that was more open-ended, as we shall see. And perhaps as we think about ourselves, we think about the church. Perhaps after so much decline. I think the Diocese of Portsmouth declined over the last 10 years by about 45%. And then COVID came along and, you know, as well we can see, a lot of people still are afraid to return to church. And perhaps it is time for new structures, a new way of doing things that still has points of contact with the old, but is far more flexible and open-ended. A structure that will take the church forward into uncharted territory, doing God's will, doing God's stuff, and not be bound like the Pharisees doing the institutional stuff. And the clue from today's reading is the importance of discipleship, whereby people become Jesus' followers, doing their best to imitate him and to become like him and to do the sort of things that he did. You see, a Christian should be a striking likeness of Jesus. If you like, a living portrait so that when people see a Christian, they see something of Christ. So let's look at the words that Jesus said. We're told that Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. And sometimes what we're reading today is called the Sermon on the Plain. Very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but Luke was more precise uh, than um, with just four Beatitudes, where Matthew had a lot more. A large crowd of disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed. Come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Can you imagine that? There was this man 
this carpenter from Nazareth, stood there talking and people trying to muscle forward just to touch him to be healed. Do you see the sort of impact that he was having on people? A large crowd, we're told, mixed. Some from the Gentile regions and others from the Jewish region. But they come to hear what Jesus had to say and they came to be healed. Two purposes there. And they may not have been able to put it in these words, but Jesus' ministry reflected God's compassion and love for people, for his creation, whoever they were, rich, poor, whatever. And of course we can take that as an example that we should follow. But there's some little hidden challenges in there because we note that Jesus shared God's compassion and love in heeding people and freeing people from evil spirits, from those little demons in their lives that somehow deflect them from God's way. Jesus had a ministry of healing power. He also had something to say. And just the fact that somehow Jesus could turn up and talk and people from far and wide got there to listen to it shows that whatever he had to say was something that people wanted and needed to hear. Something that gave them hope. Something that their old traditional religion was simply not providing. And there's another clue there. When we come to church, when we read our Bible, let's try to hear what Jesus says. Hear what he actually says, not what we think he was saying to us, but what he actually says. And take aboard what he says so that it transforms us. And transforms our churches as well. Because wherever Jesus went, his teaching shaped people's lives. And subtly but slowly they were drawn closer to him to become more like him and to do his business. And our teaching should do the same. It's not about tickling our intellect or that was great because everything he said was something I agreed or, or vice versa. It's about allowing Jesus to make us like him. Jesus taught with authority and he taught with relevance. And a lot of people came to listen to what he had to say. That particular day he gave four blessings and four woes and they kind if you've got a Bible in front of you, they sort of match. And for every blessing there's a, a woe. So in verse 20 Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor for the kingdom of God 
for yours is the kingdom of God. And that's kind of match with verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. And then again, at the beginning of verse 21, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And then in verse 25, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Going back to verse 21 again, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Verse 25, Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And then blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And verse 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Strong stuff. And of course we can spiritualise that and say, well, Jesus was just talking about the spiritually poor and and I suppose hinting perhaps at the Pharisees who thought they were spiritually rich and they were getting their comfort now by keeping their little laws and not much else. And others take it as something that Jesus was talking actually about material poverty and so on and the material rich people. But when you think about it, he was probably had both meanings in mind that somehow the material and the spiritual are intertwined. Because in Judaism, the whole of life was bound with God. They didn't have the compartmentalization that we perhaps know. This is politics, this is social, and so on and so on. The whole of life was somehow to be bound up with God. And I must admit that when I've been to places, and particularly when they're well-heeled places, that I've, I remember once we had an Alpha course in one of my parishes, and we had invited a lot of people, came, and there was one guy who was very well off. Um, and after about week three or four, he said, well, you, you know that I've got my health, I've got a fantastic house, I've got a big income, what do I need Jesus for? And that is the sort of feeling of so many. And yet we can imagine the poor people saying, yes, this man's talking about bringing us justice. So you can see now that people would listen to what Jesus said from their different perspectives. And a part of the challenge of that is, if we were preaching this sermon in the global south, in the developing world, somewhere where miracles seem to happen much more frequently than they do in the church in the west, they would probably hear these words from a different perspective to what we hear them today. If we think back to those crowds that Jesus was talking to, many of that day would have been poor, particularly by our standards. They'd have been 
not very well fed. Virtually 100% of their working life was to put food on the table, as we would say. They didn't have any spare for luxuries of any kind. How would they have heard Jesus saying, Blessed are you who are poor, woe to you who are rich. And for many of them, to follow Jesus would have brought, well, they would have been excluded from the synagogue to start with. So they would have been ostracised by other Jews. Maybe their best friends who, well, it's a load of rubbish what this man says, I'm sticking with my whatever traditional stuff. And yet Jesus was saying that these poor people, these people that needed things, had the kingdom of God. So that says something about receiving the kingdom of God. And he showed the woes and the callousness of the rich. Those who were comfortable in their state of life those who really are not that much bothered about the state of other people and the complete lack of spiritual dimension in their life. Doesn't that sound like so much of Western society today? And we forget at our peril that God's values and the world's values are certainly not the same. To be blessed means to be in a good place in relationship to God. A fortunate position, if you like. An enviable state in God's kingdom. So from this little sermon on the plane that Jesus gave, what challenges do we have today? Well, first, there is a warning to avoid being like the Pharisees, trapped by religion and not really being a follower of Jesus Christ. And secondly, I feel on my heart there's something there about having church structures that encourage and enable God's mission. And that means taking discipleship seriously, just as Jesus did. That's what his great commission was, go and make disciples. It's also about, when we think of church structures, remembering that we're Christ's body. We're just a small part of the larger body. And perhaps it's therefore important if we, I don't know, scour the horizon around and see who is similar to us, who we could work with, who we could partnership with as part of Christ's bigger body, somebody or other groups of people that practice orthodox biblical faith. 
with God's love and compassion so that we can influence them, they can influence us, we can learn from each other. Just imagine Jesus after doing something fantastic and then the disciples sitting around and discussing it. And they would have had different ideas and challenges and they would circle round and round. And perhaps we need that too. Because one little local church is not going to represent the whole body of Christ in doing everything that Christ did. We need to partner and work with others. Just as you can't be a Christian just by reading the Bible and praying at home all the time. You need a fellowship, a community to belong. So perhaps we enlarge the community of like-minded people. Third, I think the big challenge, and it particularly hits me, is I think we need to reflect, seriously reflect, on Jesus' healing power and ask ourselves, did it really stop at the end of the New Testament or is there something lacking in us today that's preventing it from happening? Perhaps we've become like the Pharisees and we can give you the theology for why it doesn't happen, but is that a, some sort of cop-out? And healing may be different today as it was then, but it's actually bringing people back to a point of wholeness. And as Paul said, remember the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words, but of power. And then I think the fourth thing that, raised, that this sermon raised is the importance of living out God's kingdom values. Remember at the beginning, towards the beginning, I said that we are supposed to be like little pictures of Christ, that something of Christ is seen in us wherever we go. So it's living during the week, God's kingdom values. So in summary, let's be radical and do Jesus' stuff unhindered as much as possible by institutional religious agendas. What form that will take is really down to us all to work, to pray and talk together. Amen.